Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Have you guys ever used something or possessed something, had something, and never fully realized its full potential? Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen those like posts that kind of fly around the internet um, that say like I was today years old when I realized, has anybody seen them? Okay, one person, awesome, cool. Um, <laughs> uh, but he's like these things like I was today years old when I realized that IHOP's logo has a smiley face in it. Or the numbers on a toaster are not minutes, are minutes, but not the level of toastiness. I never knew that. <laughs> or if an iPhone user texts another iPhone user the words pew pew, it sends them lasers. It really does. I, I, I tried it out this week. Go ahead, try it out if you've got an iPhone. Um, there's so many of these things that are flying around. I was today years old when I realized, and, and I almost went down a rabbit hole when I was prepping for this sermon. Uh, talking about rabbits, I was today years old when I realized that Nesquik cereal looks like rabbit droppings, and their mascot is a rabbit. Coincidence? I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Um, anyway, as I was kind of reading all these different things, it kind of got me to stop and think, like, have I ever possessed something? Have I ever, have I ever had something and never fully realized its full potential? Um, and it got me thinking back for when I was in Bible college, and um, there was this time when I was in Bible college, we was living with a bunch of guys in a house, and obviously college-age guys get up to ridiculous things. And we was out at this property that the church owned, and uh, we was doing some landscaping out there. Anyway, my buddy found this like random Santa Claus like statue thing like it was just Christmas decoration it was probably like four feet tall three feet tall and we thought it'd be a great decoration for the guy's house so it was like you know what we need to take this home and so we loaded it in the van we took it up keep in mind this is summertime not winter but we didn't care we was like we need this for our house and so we actually placed it on the top of our TV mantle I think I have a picture of it so this this was Santa this was obviously our design, um, interior design that the guys had going on. And uh, Santa became this running joke all year long. And it kind of became this, this joke of like, Santa's always watching. Like, don't do that. Um, and, and Santa was like kind of there to kind of, kind of keep us in line. And, and then he started to develop beyond that. And we started to like play practical jokes on one another. And so like we'd move Santa around the house. So sometimes we'd hide him in the bath. And so when somebody opens the shower curtain, Santa's there. And uh, sometimes we'd put him in closets. So you open the closet, Santa falls out. And then it started getting a little creepier when we like snuck him in the bed with people as they were sleeping. And they'd wake up and Santa would be there. And then one day we, we came home, I don't know if you guys can see, Santa has a knife in his mouth, and one day we came home and Santa's holding knives, and we was college-age guys, okay, and, and that's where he started like getting creepy, and, and it just became this ongoing joke of like, don't do that, Santa's watching, Santa's going to be angry, um, and so... At the end of our year, we thought it'd be a great time to kind of celebrate our year together. And we came up with this genius idea of we'll take Santa back to the property where we found him. And if there's any kids in the room, cover your ears right now. And we decided we're going to burn Santa. 
Okay, again, college-age students. And uh, so we loaded him up in the van, and we took him back to the property, and all the drive there were like, guys, Santa's angry. He knows what we're doing. Like, he's not going to like this. And, and we really have, like, the fear of Santa put in us. And uh, as, as we get to the property, we're unloading the van. As we're unloading the van, we're like, guys, guys, he's so angry. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't be doing this. And as we pull him out of the van, I, we could not prepare for what happened next. As we kind of have this fear of Santa, we pull him out of the van, and out of nowhere, these legs drop out of Santa. Santa went from being four feet tall to now standing seven foot, just like, and we ran off like a bunch of girls screaming, like, we was terrified. What was crazy is the whole year we had Santa, we thought he was this big. We had zero idea that Santa had legs. And, and why am I telling you this? <laughs> That's a good question. Why am I telling you this? Um, is I feel like sometimes we miss all that something is. We miss all the potential that something has. And I feel like sometimes we can miss all that God has called us to. Sometimes we receive the things of God, but miss all that come with them. So today we're continuing in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. You see, God has given us a gift of his grace We've received it, but often we can receive it in vain and miss all that it's meant to be. No, grace doesn't have extendable legs like Santa, but often we can miss all that grace is. So today I want us to kind of break down what Paul is talking about here and for us not to be a people that receive God's grace in vain. And that's why my sermon title today is, can anybody guess it? You're so vain. Come on, sing it, guys. You're so vain. Nope, nobody? I bet you think this sermon's about you. Nope, nobody? Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your help. Uh, but you're so vain. And so go ahead, turn to the person sat six feet across from you, and, and tell them you're so vain. Go ahead, do it. Look at each other. Be awkward. Be uncomfortable. Those, that, those watching online, turn to somebody. And then, and then turn, to your, turn to your second person, your second choice, and tell them it's not about you. It's not about you. Okay, so, so what does Paul mean when he says we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain? Paul spoke a similar passage to the Corinthians in his previous letter. So we're actually in Corinthians 2 right now, but in his previous letter, Corinthians 1, Paul sends them a similar message. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You see, Paul is, is encouraging not to receive the things of God in vain. And the way that I see it is grace is multifunctioning. We may know grace as, as receiving the things of God that we don't deserve, which, which is correct. Um, it's, it's a gift. It's not earned. And so you don't deserve it, but you get it. 
You see, Christ died on a cross. He took us back into relationship with the Father. That wasn't something that we deserved. You see, grace is being reconciled back to God. It means the gift of eternal life. It is the unmerited favor of God. But grace is not just fire insurance. Grace is not just a safety net. And I think it's easy to come to Christ and we receive his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, and we stay right there with grace. Never moving from that place. That, that grace just becomes our safety net. Like all the times we mess up, God's grace is there. All the times we, we speak out a line and get angry, God's grace is there. All the times we, we mess up and fall short, well, God's grace is there. But that's not the primary purpose of grace. Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? Isn't, isn't that what grace is for? And Paul says, by no means. You see, grace is more than a safety net. You see, grace is something that we're meant to put to work. You see, we receive grace inwardly. Now we are to give grace outwardly. You see, what God puts in us, we're meant to live out. Paul spoke about the grace and in, in a previous letter again, 1 Corinthians, and, and he says that he, the grace that he received was not received in vain. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Now, it feels like Paul, he's almost been like a little humble, braggy here. Like, uh, and I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 15 in your own time. But it's almost like Paul is saying, like, I'm the least of these apostles. Like, woe is me. But then he's like, but I worked harder than all of them. And, and it almost feels like he's, he's bragging. It's like, okay, weird flex. Hashtag weird flex. But okay. But the point like Paul is trying to make here is that he says he did not receive God's grace in vain. But on the contrary, I worked. I worked harder than any of them. And he's referring to the other apostles here, James and the other apostles. And Paul is showing here that there's this correlation between receiving grace and then putting grace to work. Now understand, and don't get it twisted today, we don't receive God's grace by work, but once we receive God's grace, we should put it to work. I'm going to say that again. We don't receive God's grace by work, but once we receive God's grace, we should put it to work. And this is important for us to know today. You see, if, if you're here today or if you're watching online and you're a believer, if you've accepted God's grace and his, his forgiveness and he's reconciled back to Christ, Paul talked about in the previous chapter we went over in chapter 5, he says, you are an ambassador of Christ. You see, if you've received the grace of God, you now have work to do. Grace is not an excuse to just kick back and chill because, well, God's got me. That's cheap grace. That's receiving grace in vain. That's why Paul says working together with him, we must be actively working with God. You see, don't just lay in grace. Don't just lay in your safety net acting like it's a hammock, swinging by the ocean, waiting for your lifeboat to heaven to arrive. Take that net, get out into the ocean, and use it to fish. 
Use it to become fishers of men. You see, grace is more than a safety net. It's also a fishing net. Now, what does that mean? You see, like a fishing net empowers people to fish, grace empowers us to reach people. Grace empowers us to love the so-called unlovable. Grace empowers us to have patience with our kids. Grace empowers us to keep our mouths shut when your co-workers are gossiping. Grace empowers us to be kind even when somebody cuts you off in traffic. Grace enables you to give grace to those that don't deserve it because you received grace from God and you didn't deserve it. That's why it's grace. Now, this is the part of the sermon where the undeserving people should be praising God. Come on. This is the part of the sermon when those that are unworthy should be praising God. Okay, we got a couple unworthy people. Where are my unworthy people at? Those online, help me out. Come on. Where are you at? It's by his grace that we are what we are. It's by his grace that we stand where we are. It's by his grace that I can stand here and say that I'm saved. It's by his grace, and I'm sorry to break it to you all. You don't deserve it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't deserve it. And then follow it up by saying, but he gave it to me anyway. I love the uncomfortable feeling everybody gets in this moment. Dietrich Bonhoeffer coined the phrase cheap grace and costly grace in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer says that cheap grace amounts to the justification of sin without the justification of the repentant sinner who departs from sin and whom from sin departs. Cheap grace is not the kind of forgiveness of sin which frees us from the toils of sin. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow upon ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnated. I feel Bonhoeffer is saying here, there's a grace that you can take in vain but it amounts to nothing. However, there is another grace, and Bonhoeffer refers to it as the costly grace. He says, costly grace is the gospel which may be sought again and again, the gift of which must be asked for. It's the door at which a person must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. It's a grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a person their life. And it's a grace because it gives a person the only true life. True grace causes us to live our lives to something greater than us. True grace works within us and pours out of us. True grace leads to life change. Cheap grace covers you. Costly grace changes you. Our mission here at Southbridge is to connect people to Jesus for life change. That's our heart and passion is to see lives transformed by being connected to Christ. 
Our mission is not to connect people to Jesus to fill chairs in a building. It's not to connect people to Jesus so they have a ticket to heaven. It's not to connect people to Jesus so they can put fancy bumper stickers on the back of the car, WWJD. It's to connect people to Jesus for life change. And life change takes grace. We want you to be a people that fully behold Christ, as we talked about in chapter three. We want you to fully know him and for your lives to be changed by him. Paul goes on in this chapter and quotes Isaiah 49. He says, for he says, in a favorable time I have listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Paul is saying today is the day for the Corinthians to demonstrate their faithfulness by their actions. They should reflect God's grace by the acts in their life. The message says it like this, and I love it. It says, well, now is the, time, now is the right time to listen, the day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late, throwing a question mark over everything we're doing. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in the details. People are watching us as we stay at our post, alertly, unswerving. One of the key points that Paul makes all through his different letters, and in, in this letter alone, he says, salvation is not just about you being saved. Too often we have this very self-centered view of salvation that once we're saved, we, we sit back and think that we're all saved and that was the entire purpose of God and his grace. I remember a time when I, I, I was a, a young Christian. I was probably 18 and I, uh, I was working for a, a clothing store. Excuse me. And... Um, and, and I, was, I was so on fire for God, and I had more zeal than I had knowledge at that point, but I was just sharing the gospel as much as I can. Sure, shared it with my, my coworkers and, and customers that come in. And, and I remember one time I was sharing uh, my, my, my faith and, and the gospel with a coworker, and he was working with this customer. And as I'm sharing it with him, he turns to the customer, and she was probably a, a, about a seven-year-old lady. And, uh, and he said to her, he's like, do you believe, do you believe all this? Like everything that he's saying, like, like do you believe this? And the woman turned to him and said, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. And then she went on to say, but that's something you should keep to yourself. And again, I was young and I was like, I was shocked, I was saddened. And she went on to say that faith's a private thing that, that you should keep to yourself. Guys, she missed it. Paul paints a picture for us that it's not only about what you were saved from, but it's what you saved Two. Matthew 5 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, how shall, it be t how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are a light to the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is, heaven, who is in heaven. Guys, this lady put the light under a bowl. She received the grace of God, and I would say she received it in vain. Our life should be lived in such a way that we are the light to the world. It's not about us, but when people look at our lives, they should see something distinct. They should see something different. They should see Jesus Christ. Amen? Who's with me today? Paul says that our goal is not to put any obstacle in anyone's way in coming to the gospel. He says that no fault shall be found in the ministry we're working in. That we are to live and speak in such a way that people don't disregard the gospel. Rather, in everything we do, we live as servants of God and commend ourselves in every way. Paul goes on in this chapter and says, By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, Though honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors yet are true, as known and yet well-known, unknown and well-known, as dying and behold. We live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I love that. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Do you hear what Paul is saying here? He's saying this is how servants of God are to commend themselves to the world. It's not by making a name for yourself. It's not by being being flashy and drawing attention to yourself or elevating yourself. We commend ourselves by enduring. Our great endurance is seen by maintaining these attributes during difficult times. We show patience in an impatient world. We show kindness in an unkind world. In a world where there's hatred and intolerance, we show patience, peace, and kindness. Paul is saying we are to live our life through the grace of God. We are not meant to live our lives how we previously would. Our lives need to be changed by Christ. It's only by God's grace that we can face all these things that Paul talks about, afflictions, hardships, calamities, sleepless nights, dishonor, slander, and yet still possess joy and demonstrate patience, kindness, and genuine love. Only by his grace. In this season, as as we approach Thanksgiving, I feel like we can all kind of look back on this year and see all the afflictions and hardships and sleepless nights. Yet, we should be a people that still possess joy. Let us not be people that grumble, but people that are grateful. Because our eyes are fixed on all that God has given us. Last week, uh, I had Sid Graham join me on the the pre and post show at the the table for our online audience. And you guys online will have probably already heard this. Uh, But Sid talked about how he was recently traveling. He was in Switzerland, I believe. And he was on the street and he saw two women and they were out there handing out gospel tracts. And he said, I I was watching them and every time they tried to hand out a gospel tract, he said they were either ignored, rejected, like just, just dismissed. 
And all, all this ignoring, everybody dismissing them, rejecting them, he said they still had this joy. They still had these smiles on their faces. He went up and encouraged them and, and like, you know, keep fighting the fight, all that. But what I love about this is that these women still possess joy even though they were being rejected. It's, it's only by God's grace that you can stand out on a street by your own free will, not getting paid, getting rejected time and time again and still have joy and still have love in your heart for the people that are rejecting you. It's only by God's grace that you can do that. that. That genuine joy and love doesn't come naturally. It comes by beholding Christ and putting the grace of God to work in your life. Paul is urging the Corinthians to put that grace of God to work. Not just to accept the grace and go back to your old ways and think, well, I've got grace as a safety net. But instead to love Christ in every circumstance. Paul goes on and he says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. I speak to you as children. Widen your hearts also. Paul is urging the church to open their hearts Based on, on evidence of previous correspondence, this church hasn't always done a good job at getting along with one another. According to 1 Corinthians, uh, there's been division. These believers have had d divided issues over a number of different issues. Beliefs in the resurrection, lawsuits, arguments over the supremacy of spiritual gifts, division over leadership, disagreements over worship. The list goes on and on. And Paul reminds the church of the gospel and the grace in which they received he urges them to let God's grace be their guide, to walk and be empowered by grace. For Paul, failing to love one another is a sign of accepting God's grace in vain. Now is the time to exhibit faithfulness, not simply through words, but by action. Now is the time for us to live as witnesses of God's new creation. And I think the very season we're in right now, we all need to hear this. I feel like Paul is saying, I open my life up to you to, to give you the gospel. I, a murderer of Christians, could experience the grace of God in my life. I've held nothing back. And Paul is saying, God loves you freely. I have loved you freely so that you may experience the same grace that I have received. He says, but you're not. You're not experiencing it. because Not because it's been restricted to you. You're not experiencing it because you've restricted it in your own love and affection than anything than Jesus Christ. Paul's saying you, you love your money, you love your power, you love your control. And, and your love for all these things is actually turning off the spigot of you experiencing God's true and full grace. As I was preparing this sermon, I, I, I took a moment to think, what would Paul say to us today? right now if he was here. And I believe Paul would say, don't 
Let your love or your passion for political parties create polarization between one another. Guys, hear me. A divided nation needs a united church. Let's put to work the very grace that we have received ourselves. Let's put that grace to work for others. The Corinthians had God's grace available, but it was empty, it was unpowerful, it was ineffective because they couldn't let go of what they loved more than Christ. Paul wrote to the Philippians and he says, we count everything, everything as a loss for the suppressing value of knowing Christ. Do we count everything as a loss to knowing Christ? What? We are doing a service of God is seeing the unseen. We're looking to the eternal reward, not what is happening to us right now. As servants of God, we are showing that knowing Christ and being known by Christ is better than all earthly wealth, prosperity, comfort. Christ is more desired than anything in this life. We display the joy in Christ in the face of suffering and loss. We display great endurance and great faithfulness. The rest of this chapter, Paul goes on and, and, and he constitutes a call and encouragement for the Corinthians to have nothing to do with pagan worship, but rather to make holiness perfect in the fear of God. He's urging the Corinthians not to form partnerships with unbelievers. Why is he doing this? I believe it's because he's worried of them falling back to their old ways. He's urging them to live a life that is distinct and empowered by the grace of God. He's saying to them, you are called to be the influencing light, but right now you're the ones been influenced. Is, is Paul saying as believers we're not allowed to have friendships and fellowship by unbe with unbelievers? By no means. He is warning, however, not to get into a place where you and unbelievers have a deep partnership, whether that be business or whether that be relationships. Now I know just based on sheer statistics alone that there's probably multiple people in this room or watching online that fall into that category for multiple reasons. I don't have time to, to talk to all that today, but what I believe that Paul is encouraging you right now is that put the grace of God to work in your life. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't put your light under a bowl. Be Christ to those people and endure. Endure with kindness, with love, and with true patience. And the same challenge goes out to all of us today. In this pressing time in this nation, let us go out with the grace of God and endure. Endure with purity, with knowledge, with patience, kindness, with the Holy Spirit and genuine love. Now, I'm not gonna say it's gonna be easy. And I'm not saying that this to make you feel guilty. I heard a quote the other day that said, what you take for granted, other people are fighting for. And, and that hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's true. It made me feel guilty. And it, it made me wanna change. But guilt isn't empowering. Grace is. You see, you're going to leave this place today and you're going to go back out into the world and it's not always easy. That's why we need God's grace. Once you have a true revelation of all that God has given you, 
all that God has poured out upon you, once you have a true revelation of how undeserving you really are, it's liberating, it's freeing, it's powerful. Not I, but the grace of God at work in me. Our executive, Pastor John Cullen, sent a, a poem uh, by, David, uh, by Paul David Tripp this week to our staff. And, and I think it, it fits perfect with this message. And so I want to leave you with this poem. After I finish reading it, I'm, I'm going to walk off the stage and be done with this message. But I want each of us in this room watching online to just take 10 seconds. Just be silent. Let these words resonate to your heart, to your soul. Let's not be people that live in vain, but let's be empowered by grace for the sake of the gospel. This is what it says. In that moment when opponents are screaming, tribes are fighting, arguments are escalating, the masses are debating, and no one is listening, there is power in a soft answer. There is strength in a tender heart. There is grace to be found in a measured response. There is mercy to be seen in a loving reply. There is only one enemy, not the person different from you, not the one who disagrees with you, not one who disrespects you, not the one on the other side of the fence. The one true enemy was defeated by one who was despised rejected, misjudged, and forsaken, condemned, and mistreated. He won not by being louder or acting stronger, bigger threats, crafty words, stinging retorts, but by sacrifice. The ultimate battle was won by a gentle, humble, loving servant man. He silenced the enemy, not by being bigger and louder, but by laying down his life because he loved his enemies. May the voice in my head not be louder than the voice of you. May my private conversations be interrupted by your words. When I think, may I think of you. When my soul dreams, may I dream after you. When I regret, may it be conviction from you. When I celebrate, may I rejoice in what comes from you. When I'm distressed, may I remember you. When temptations seduce me, may I run to you. When fears oppress, may I find courage in you. When I celebrate, may the praise go out to you. When I serve, may my love reveal you. When I speak, may my words represent you. And in the end, may the song of my life be a hymn to you.